Um, well, we are in a, a kind of a brand new series here. Uh, this is only our second week, uh, and we're calling it How to Be Home. Uh, and basically, this is a series that I really wanted to focus on because this is a season in life where a lot of us are going to be headed to what used to be home, <laughs> right? So we got Thanksgiving coming around the bend. We've got Christmas coming around the bend. We've got a lot of holidays in which we are going to be around family. And my sense is, uh, if you're anything like me, and my family lives like right down the road in Marina Del Rey, even when I'm there, it doesn't quite feel the same as when I was like in sixth grade, right? Like <laughs> home changes. Our ideas of home change. The people that we feel at home with change, and they change a lot, and especially in the city that we live in. So in this series, what I'm really going to be focusing on is Los Angeles. This city that we all call home, the city that you, you live in yourself, uh, and Santa Monica is a very interesting little pocket in that city. Uh, but mostly, I want to spread this wide, and especially this morning, I want to talk about uh, traffic. Mm. Wanna, oh, wow. Uh. <laughs> Voice of God was like, please talk about, about traffic. Uh, I want to talk about um, images of home, so uh, what we believe our image of home really means. Uh, and I want to talk about in that in terms of LA traffic, uh, fighter pilots. We're going to talk about my brother and his Xbox. I'm going to talk about God's image of home versus our image of home. We're going to talk about um, choices and who we call home, which I think is ex incredibly important. We're going to talk about two Hebrew words, which I'm very excited about. And we're going to talk about a character in the Bible that I don't think gets enough press, and his name is Elijah. So before we jump into all of that, and I tell you a really crazy story about my Georgia relatives, uh, let's pray that that goes okay, because it involves guns and trees. So let's pray for that, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you so much uh, for this morning. Thank you for this community. Thank you for church. Thank you, thank you, Omid, for fixing my mic. Uh, and thank you that we have uh, the ability to hear. Um, but God, I just pray over this, this space as we uh, dive into this series. Lord, uh, I feel so strongly that home is something that we are gradually just kind of missing more and more and more as we get um, disconnected in a world that's trying to connect us so much more. And so I just pray for connection over the next couple of weeks, especially as we head into the holidays, especially as we head uh, to Mexico to build this home. Would you just fill us with this idea of home uh, and what it means to build that both there and here? Amen. Um, so I want to start with just images of home. Because I think, especially as we're going into the holiday season, uh, that begins to shape our American sensibility of what home looks like, right? We hold these images, and especially when it comes to the holidays, when we begin to encounter advertising, we begin to watch the Christmas movies. Uh, if you're my wife, the Hallmark Channel is on incessantly, and you're gonna look at a very different image of home. It's always snowing, and I swear to you, they live in California. I don't know how it's always snowing. Every single movie. Anyway. You have these images of home that look completely different and we get shaped, right? And unfortunately we get shaped in ways that kind of provide this like sort of perfectionist attitude of what home should be. And here's what I wanna drive home today is that home is never perfect. Home cannot be perfect. What home can be, and what I'm hoping to get at this morning is that home can be still. Home can be peace. Home can be healing. But that does not mean perfection. So the stories that we're going to go through today are all going to be about characters in scripture, uh, myself, that are imperfect, that somehow built a home, and they never did that alone. They always did that with God's help. And I think that's what we got to lean into hard as we're coming into the holiday season. So 
first things first, my image of home comes in two different ways. I live in Los Angeles. I've lived in Los Angeles for 10 years now. That's the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my short lifespan. Uh, I moved seven times before I turned 14. So it's always been ping-ponging around and all that kind of stuff, but Los Angeles has really been home. But before that, and where my whole family lives, uh, is in Georgia. And it's not Atlanta, folks. It's not Atlanta. It's deep, deep Georgia. And in fact, I tried, I had to text my relatives to see, and they don't text, they only have a landline. Therefore, that's how deep it shows you that it is. But we used to go to Thanksgiving, at my uh, Georgia relative's place, and they live on this huge farm. And we g I grew up living in sort of major metropolitan areas uh, from when I was really little, from Dallas uh, to South Carolina to, um, to Sacramento to Amsterdam uh, to right outside of New York City and New Jersey and then finally to San Francisco. So I've always been sort of a city boy, but when we would go there, it would unleash this little like, what is go, you can get away with so much out here. Here's what Thanksgiving consisted of when you're out in the deep south and there's just cows and there's just pasture. Fireworks, wildly dangerous, everything is green. Don't know why they have them, don't know why they're legal. I don't even know if they're legal. They just had a stockpile of fireworks and they had a stockpile of ammunition. So they would hand you a gun, I'm not lying, a gun with a banana clip in it and you would walk out and the activity was to drink beer, shoot down trees and light fireworks off. And this is what Thanksgiving and America stood for for them, right? So this was the image of home that I had when I was growing up and I was really young. They would hand me a gun at 10 years old and they'd be like, we're just gonna shoot down a tree. It's harmless, no worries. I later learned gun safety. You should never shoot at something solid because that bad boy could ricochet right back at you. So I could have gotten killed multiple times as a young child with a gun. Again, a banana clip was in it. <laughs> Therefore, that is an image of home that I no longer have, right? I well, haven't been back in a very long time, but that's one image of home, right? Here's another image of home. If we're looking at Los Angeles, what's the most defining characteristic of this incredible and sprawling city? What's that? Traffic. Traffic. Nailed it from the outside. Was that TJ? Thank you, TJ. <laughs> Traffic is the right answer. Traffic is our biggest thing. It's the biggest thing that we have. Uh, in fact, if you live in in the city of Los Angeles with an average commute, which is 13 miles in the city of Los Angeles. If you lived here for over two months, you spent over a day of your life in traffic, 24 hours straight in traffic. For some of us, that's even more. But we all know from one side of the city to the next within the city limits can take you up to like an hour and a half to get through, right? That's That could be our image of home. My brother, uh, moved from Marina del Rey uh, after he had, and a lot of you know this, he had like a heart surgery and a lot of stuff going on. He was, you know, and I'm very proud of him. He's reinventing himself. He's uh, trying out for all sorts of auditions and everything and doing great. But he moved to Silver Lake and I live in Santa Monica. And I basically looked at him and I was like, you might as well have moved to Santa Barbara. I will see you once a year. Like it's just that far away, you're gonna go here. Right? You can't, I can't make it there every week. And we like to get together a lot because we, we're kinda, we grew up together in all those 14 moves. And so I wanna keep that close relationship, especially with this heart disease. So we figured out a different plan, right? And here's what a major theme is gonna be this morning. We can embrace chaos in our image of home, which would be me sitting uh, on the 10 and the 405 and the 101 to get to Silver Lake going that direction at any time after 4 p.m. or we figured out a different alternative, which is the major thing that we used to bond on when we were kids was playing video games. And I know that's super new, but we loved to play video games. We would just do that for hours a day. And so we both figured out a plan. We were like, what if we both bought an Xbox 
and then every Wednesday night, we can just spend an hour and a half playing games together and we don't have to hit a car. We, we don't have to do anything on the freeway. We can just sit in the comfort of our home and we can talk and there's a little camera and he was like, boom, we're good, boom, we're good. Now this is the type of thing that someone would do if they were living across the country, but that's the image of the home that we have here, right? That's, <laughs> that's what we're dealing with. But that creates what? Not chaos, not stress, but stillness, right? We don't have to worry about all of that time spent in the car because there are other options. There are more options today to create home than there have ever been in the entire world. Uh, and here's a little sneaky statistic for you that I listened to a, a great podcast on. Um, has anybody heard of the podcast Reply All? It's an NPR podcast, or it's, it's a Gimlet podcast actually, but Reply All is just basically, it's a show about the internet. And they do internet stories and stuff that like, you know, uh, even a guy like me in their 30s would not understand and, and don't understand about the internet, but they explain it and they explain it in fun ways. Uh, and one of the coolest pieces they did was on community as the internet was created as a space that we were supposed to have more community. But here's the wild fact, and this is obviously true if you really kind of think about it, and it's kind of a sneaky thing. The internet is largely created by people uh, who might be a little bit more introverted than the average extrovert, right? The people that have the skills to implement technology and actually create these technologies are indeed a little bit more inside themselves than the regular, the regular kind of extrovert. And so what we have is an entire ecosystem created by people who might not necessarily feel as comfortable in the room with someone. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But they might not feel as comfortable. And so most of the technologies that we are interacting with are technologies that want to keep us sort of like, we can do this from wherever we are and we never have to interact with each other. My brother and I are guilty of this 100% with that Xbox example. But the truth is, like, that's the world that we're living in. And to navigate in the 21st century, we have to figure out how to create home in those environments and not create this sort of separation thing where we can just cut it whenever we want. Because the value of being in spaces like this, and this is why I think that the local church is still the hope of the world, is that especially in a small church like this, you actually have to deal with people. I've talked about this before. My favorite pastor in the whole world is named Eugene Peterson. He wrote the message version of the Bible. He also wrote all of these really incredible books on being a pastor. Um, but when people would ask him, and he was a pastor in, I think, Wyoming, like a very small community, and when he would, people would ask him or email him, I'm looking for a church. What should I look for? And he said, the two criteria that I want you to look for the most is where's the closest church to you? And then what's the smallest church to you? Because in those spaces, you actually have to deal with the other. I don't know if you've noticed, guys, but our back row, you have to walk past a whole bunch of people. Our front row, you have to literally be on stage, <laughs> right? So like that's, that's community. And that's what the church was designed to be. It was designed to be a place where we actually deal with the other. So what I want to do this morning is create that version of how we deal with the other, how we actually interact with the other. And I want to do that with God's image of home and not just our image of home, right? Because our image of home could be anything from shooting down trees to being in long traffic rides, right? Or being online or being wherever we can find that. But God's image of home, I think, includes five unique practices. And they are this. I think that God's images of home start with sand and rocks. They then go to people. They then go to this idea of returning. And then they go to breath. 
and then they go to place. So those are the five things we're going to roll through today. Sand and rocks, people, returning, breath, and place. And to start, let's go to the sand and the rocks. This is a very famous parable that Jesus tells about the wise person and where they build their home and then the foolish person and where they build their home. So we'll start with the physical structure and then we'll move to community and people. But um, let's read through this together. Uh, the wise and foolish builders. This is in Matthew tw uh, 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And let's be really clear on this. These words of his are his most famous oration period. It's a Sermon on the Mount. It's this long thing that he goes through about what the kingdom is and how you actually live in community and how you live with the others. And so he's saying, like, here's how you actually put this into practice. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I got the opportunity to go to uh, Israel this year, which was an incredible thing um, for me and Chelsea, and, and we got to see this place that I've had to study for years and years and years. And the most overwhelming thing about Israel is that you can see an awful lot of sand. <laughs> and very few rocks that look like you could build a home upon, <laughs> right? When you look out into the vast city, you're gonna look at a desert, which has tons of sand. And then the spaces that you could build a home on a rock foundation would have been very, very few and far between. And so what I think Jesus is saying in this is that to actually build home, to be at home is more difficult than just picking a random spot. Because there are tons of spots that we could, we could go for that are not built on a strong foundation. That aren't built on actual community. That aren't built on people wanting to help each other and love each other. There are plenty of sand spots. Los Angeles is the exact same way. Right? Los Angeles has a lot of sand as well. Where are you going to choose to build the wise place, the foolish place? And so those two images are of rock and sand. And rock comes up in the Bible tons and tons of times. And when it does, almost every time it comes up, it is a representation for the name of God, the rock, right? You're building this on a rock. You're building on this of the idea of God, of the ideas of Jesus. You're building this on a thing that's bigger than yourself. Sand does what? It shifts, it moves, it blows in the wind. It is not solid, it is not, it is not a foundation. It moves around like crazy. And so a lot of times when we see the image of sand in the Bible and we see another image connected to it, that image is a storm. We see sand and we see storm because a lot of times those storms would happen on a body of water and that is connected to on both the bottom of it and both the sides, the sands, right? the stuff that moves, the stuff that is not stable. So God is saying, I don't want you to build a home in the storm. I want you to build a home in this solid foundation. I want you to build a home in a place that is not going to move, that is going to stay right where it is. 
Sand is what happens when a rock gets beat to death. That's how we get sand, right? So the image here is saying you want to build yourself a home on something that is absolutely solid and unmovable and has not been beat to death yet. And that creates a choice. So this story is not just about like there are two options. The story is about your choice in both of those options. And so there is, there is a choice in walking through life where we choose to actually build our home, our community, and that means we are responsible for that. That means being connected to God, being connected to the teachings of Jesus, being connected and following in community so that we can actually figure out what those rocks look like and what that sand looks like in 2019 because it looks drastically different than just building a physical home. In fact, a lot of this stuff is just like, it's, it's, it's building community and it's building within community. And a lot of the time we can't do that in a storm. Good decisions don't happen in storms. We are really bad when we try and make a panic decision. This morning is a perfect example. I got here, I opened up my iPad, uh, and I found that uh, I've been using this Post-it app for years now, and it's incredibly reliable, but they just uh, turned on this cloud feature. So I opened up my laptop to then transcribe, and I always put it on paper so it doesn't shut down. And I discovered that three quarters of my sermon was completely gone when I opened my laptop at 9 a.m. this morning, and I had to go, okay. And then I realized, what am I talking about this morning? Oh, making decisions out of panic or making decisions out of stillness and calm. And I was like, thanks a lot, God. Now I'm going to have to really put this into practice and we'll figure out if this works at all. But that's just the way that life works. We are not good. If you make a decision out of panic, you are not operating out of your full capacity. In fact, it's the same part of your brain that fires off. It's called the lizard brain. It's the same part of your brain that fires off like when your ancestors had to be like run away from a tiger. That's the same kind of thing. Did you know, and this is very important as we go back to traffic, when you're sitting in bad traffic, the same neurons fire that a fighter pilot has when they are in a dogfight in the air. We are wired like that, right? We are wired for panic. We respond so, so well to it. So I respond to bad news stories over good news stories because we love a crisis, we love a panic, but the truth of the matter is we don't build anything good out of panic. And if you look at the state of the world today, there are an awful lot of decisions that are being made out of panic that are hurting us more and more and more, and panic creates more panic. Panic never creates peace, ever. Stillness, breathing, just taking a moment to just, hey, I'm just gonna be here, that's what can create peace. That's where you can operate out of a good place. That's where you can make a good decision. But we can almost never make that in terms of panic. And that goes with the community around you. Your community is just as much your home as a physical space is. And we know that. If you've ever had a bad guest in your home, you realize, oh, this doesn't feel as homey as it used to, and I live here, right? Like, we understand the community is really what makes a home and not just that. And so it's people. First Corinthians 3.9 says this, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. You are God's field and you are God's building. Where do we find rocks? <laughs> a field. Where can we build a field upon those rocks? So if that's true, what God is actually saying is that we 
together, our fellow human beings, the people that are in our lives, are just as foundationally as important as the foundation of a home. And that takes major choice to find those right people and to actually avoid the sand traps, <laughs> right? We're going to find those all over the place. We're called to actually find a home in each other. That's what belonging is. Belonging is not a big building. Belonging is not a comfy seat. Belonging is not a screen that you can stare at. Belonging is finding people that you can actually build a life in and that will care enough for you to build a life in you also. And that is a very unique space in the Christian faith because Jesus creates space for that all the time. He does that at the table. He does that at the cross. He does that in every interaction. He's always creating space to find belonging, to find a home, and to build a home in someone else. And that's the whole thing. We don't need panic. We need each other. We need to breathe. We need to have peace. And I think there's a perfect story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, that's all about that peace and all about that breathing and all about trying to remove that panic so that we can move forward. And it's the story of Elijah. Um, and Elijah's a prophet, and he happens to be in the Old Testament a lot. Uh, but the story is rather interesting um, because where we find Elijah right now, uh, and this could, it's paragraphs long, so I didn't want to have to read all this to you, but basically where we find Elijah right now is he is in the midst of chaos. He's in the midst of that panic that we're talking about. He's in the midst of that sand trap. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He has a very real problem on his hands that hopefully a lot of us in this room will never have to deal with, which is a threat upon his life. <laughs> so he's actually running from a death threat uh, from a king, which is not a great person to get a death threat from, right? So he's running, and he's on the run, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's a prophet, so he's speaking on God's behalf, and he's listening to God as much as he possibly can, but he doesn't know what to do now because what's settled in? Panic. The lizard brain, right? He has no clue what to do. Even though he's one of the most qualified people to just listen to what God wants him to do, he can't seem to get there because there's a panic in him. And so he runs, and he runs to a place of safety that he knows, which is called Mount Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai, which is one of the most holy places in all of Scripture, and especially the Old Testament, and especially when it comes to Moses. This is where we get the Ten Commandments coming down. This is where we get, like, the pillars of fire. This is like a huge space, and it's a space of safety for the Jewish people at this point, for the Israelites. It's a space that they came out of slavery, and they got to, and they felt security. They felt like, I'm okay here. I'm safe. I'm away from all of the panic. I'm away from all the craziness. So Elijah is on the run, and he runs to this place. And to do that, he has to pass through Damascus. He has to pass through all of these dangerous spaces where his life is going to be threatened. And when he finally gets there, he expects to find peace. He expects to find a respite. He expects to find a place where he can rest his head. And what does he find? He finds a God that says this right at the very beginning. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing here? Elijah left his community. He left all the people that he was responsible for. He left the people that he was supposed to be speaking into because panic hit him, and he didn't know what to do. And so he went to the holiest, safest place he could find, and God's answer is not, thank God you came here. His answer is, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. This isn't what I've called you to do. This isn't what your training is in. This isn't who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be there. 
Don't you think I'm in a fight for you out there? Not just here on this antiquated mountain where there is no one else in the world. You're supposed to be in community. You're supposed to be with people. And he goes and he continues. And this is Elijah's rambling answer because he's panicked and he's like chased by spears. I would be panicked too. He's saying, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. He's blaming everyone else. He's blaming the community, right? He's like, well, the people in my life aren't showing up. Like, it's all their fault. They're not doing the things that they need to do for me. My boss isn't covering me the way that they should be covering me. I'm not getting the things out of my friends that I need. Someone keeps canceling on me, blah, 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 blah. He's giving all of these excuses to say it's everyone's fault but mine. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, this is a massive, massive, massive thing, because even Moses asked to see God, and when he asked to see God, God said, there's no way you can see me, because you will die. <laughs> right? So what is he now putting towards Elijah? That same death threat. <laughs> right? In Elijah's mind, he's going like, okay, we'll pump the brakes for a minute here. I could probably handle the spears. I'm not sure if I see you, if that's going to work out so well. He says, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and the wind was there. Uh, and, and after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. These are the two places of fear that Elijah thinks he's going to encounter now. We've got wind again. We've got a storm. More than that, we've got fire now. It's upgraded, right? We're no longer just dealing with sand. We're dealing with this crazy crisis. And Elijah is now placed in the, the place of thinking, like, I ran here for safety, and now I'm encountering some of the scariest things I've ever seen, and I'm all alone. What's happening? After the earthquake came a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And sometimes that's translated as not gentle whisper, but simply a, a breath. A breath. And what's incredibly important about that is that one of the names for God, there are 72 names for God in the Bible, and there are only a handful that God actually calls himself. And one of those is Yahweh. And the Hebrew word for Yahweh is the same. It has no vowels in it. It's the same sound as when we would breathe. And it's the holiest name that you could call God. In fact, it was so holy that it could only be uttered once in the entire year, and that was by the high priest who would have to tie a rope around their leg to go into the temple, because once they went in there and they uttered the name, the belief was there's a 50-50 chance I'll just get struck down dead, <laughs> and someone will have to pull me out by that rope of my leg. And so Elijah knows this, and he hears this gentle whisper, and he hears the name of God, and in that, he hears It's not in the fire, it's not in the earthquake, it's not in the craziness, it's in the peace. His sense of home, his sense of community, his sense of life is now found in a gentle whisper and not in all of that panic and not in all of that craziness, but in a simple breath, in a simple whisper. Do you know how beneficial it is for us if we just simply breathe? you take a deep breath in through your nose and a deep breath out through your mouth, you can create so much more calm in your life than 
in the, the panting of panic, right? So what Elijah hears is just this breath. And when Elijah heard it, he pulls his cloak over his face because he realizes how powerful that is. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, this is the most important thing. Elijah still is freaked out of his mind and he repeats the exact same phrase. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put the prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, and the Lord doesn't say this in the fire. He doesn't say this in the earthquake. He doesn't say this in the wind. He's still talking in this breath. And he says, hey, go back the way you came and go through the desert of Damascus. Here's what good community does. Here's what good friends do. Here's what good family does. Here's what a good church does. Here's what a good therapist does. A good person or relationship that you have will take you back the way you came and help you find yourself from where you started. The care here is not, well, Elijah, just drop everything that you've had and keep going and just cut those people out of your life because they've tried to kill you. No, the care here is saying, I want you to go back into that and I want you to deal with it. I want you to experience all of that stuff and understand that I'm with you that whole way. And then I'm gonna help you find yourself every step of that fear. And we're gonna erase that fear as you go back the same way that you came. And when you get back to that place, you will no longer be that scared person. You will no longer be in the earthquake or in the fire or in the wind. You're now gonna be in this gentle, calm breath that I have for you. The place of God is not found in the craziness. The place of God is found in that gentle breath. The place of God is found when we can calm down. There's a beautiful name for God, one of the other 72, and this isn't one that God actually calls himself, but it's one that the Hebrew people had for him. And it's called Macomb. Can anyone say Macomb for me? Just so I know I haven't lost you yet. Okay, Macomb. Macomb is also the word for place. Uh, it's the word for God and it's the word for place. And it's a really interesting word. Uh, when the Hebrew people would try and help a grieving person, one of the most famous phrases they have and still have to this day, and I wasn't going to butcher it by trying to speak Hebrew for you guys, but it's, may the place of God comfort you. May the Macomb of God comfort you. This is when someone experiences great panic, great loss, great hurt in their lives. They say, well, just the place of God comfort you. And what's amazing about that is it's the same Macomb. So it's may the Macomb of Macomb comfort you. And so you can flip that phrase and you can move that phrase around and instead of just being may the place of God comfort you, may the God of place comfort you. Meaning God is in this place if we only choose to see it and there's comfort all around you and with that comfort and with that peace, there's no excuse for everyone not to belong. For everyone not to be able to go back the way that they came. There's another Hebrew word, and this is my last point. That Hebrew word is called teshuva, and that means to turn around. And it's the word that we translate in the, thanks to the old King James Bible, which is a terrifying translation. It, it basically says repent, 
right? That's where we get that scary religious word that sounds like a finger wagging in your face. Teshuva is much more loving and much more graceful. Teshuva means return to the place that you always belonged and forgot you were loved in. Return to the place you always belonged and forgot you were loved in. The place, the Macomb. Return to the God you always belonged to but forgot you were loved by. That's what repent means. That's Jesus' whole mission. And that's his mission for us today as we're trying to find home. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for helping us find home for telling us to come back the way that we came so that we can heal from everything that might have damaged us so that we can truly turn around and realize that the place we always belonged we may have forgotten we were loved in. I thank you for spaces like this that are reminders of that love and I hope as we continue to move forward into 2020, as we continue to move forward into this beautiful holiday season, that we would just remember that there are places that we belong in that we may have forgot that we were totally loved by you in. 